Over the past 20 years, about two dozen Harvard graduates have gone on to pursue vocations as priests and religious brothers and sisters. Today, I'm speaking with two Dominican sisters, Sister Maria Veritas, graduate of the class of 2010, along with Sister Joseph Andrew, about religious life and discerning a vocation in college. Welcome to the Harvard Catholic, conversations with interesting people and dedicated disciples of Christ from the greater Harvard community, hosted by me, undergraduate chaplain and almost famous jazz drummer, Father Patrick Fiorillo. Be sure to follow us or subscribe to stay on top of all the latest episodes. Here we go. Hey, hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. My guests today are with me in person, coming all the way from Ann Arbor, Michigan. They arrived a few days ago to lead our undergraduate retreat for the weekend, which was amazing, and I wouldn't let them leave without first recording a podcast interview. So here they are, Sister Maria Veritas and Sister Joseph Andrew. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Father. Thanks, Father. So thanks again for doing this retreat weekend. Have you caught up on sleep from this weekend? I think so, Father. Yes. It's been very great. So how was the retreat? Give me your uh, thoughts on um, how it went. Have you done a retreat like this before for college students? I personally haven't done a retreat for college students before, and I thought it went very well. I was really impressed by the openness of the students, their desire for God, their desire to receive what Sister Joseph Andrew and I wanted to give them and what the Holy Spirit wanted to give them. We had 53 students there, so it was actually a record attendance for one of our undergrad retreats, so glad you were able to experience that with us. Father, that speaks highly to what you are doing here, so we want to thank you. And I have done retreats before for college students, and I found these, as Sister mentioned, very open and very intellectually engaged in everything and actually wanting more and more, everything that they could get, which is very healthy Mm -hmm. and a sign of the Holy Spirit is truly working in them. Based on your conversations with students, what points from your conferences do you think resonated the most? I would think that probably what resonated the most for the students, first of all, was the Eucharistic adoration. Mm. They are really rooted in that, and they know that they need that, and that many students mentioned that to me. Mm. So anytime you have Eucharistic adoration, I think you will always have the sign completely filled, yep. which just, again, is is about the most you could hope for. Yep. And then another thing is, again, they listen on such a in an uh, interior level, that I think it produces more of this healthy curiosity to want to know more. And they, uh, so anything that you feed them that is in the spiritual realm, they really do take to heart. And I think they're very open for this, this ongoing conversion, which mm-hmm. really is holiness. Yeah. We had the, the evening. Saturday evening was a scheduled holy hour, but it, due to the long confession line, ended up being a holy two hours, which uh, I don't think felt like a long two hours. Not at all. In fact, because you had given us the opportunity to continue the one-on-ones, and when I came out from the last one, um, Benediction had just completed, and I'm like, that could not possibly have been that much time. Mm -hmm. So I think it flew for all of very much those, obviously, in front of the Eucharist as well. And then we had overnight adoration from 11 p.m. to 
8 a.m. on Saturday night to Sunday morning, and every hour had at least three students at it, which was awesome. Up to six students in this small little room there in the residence hall. So Mm -hmm. what about you, sister? Any immediate reactions on what struck people? I think one thing that resonated with the students was we a question that came up about how how to recover from sin. And uh, I was sharing that sometimes we get very wrapped up, tied up in knots about our sinfulness, and that's the work of the enemy, and that we really need to acknowledge our sinfulness, repent, go to confession, and then move on. Yep. And that... That was, I think, very freeing for a lot of the students to hear that we just need to go to confession and accept reality and laugh, laugh at ourselves. Uh, And I mean, sin, sin is serious, but we're all sinners and we don't need to be scandalized by our own sin because it's our fallen nature. And so I think it was a joyful point that the Holy Spirit made for them that they can be forgiven and they can go on and don't need to be bound by uh, fear of future sin or guilt for past sins. They yeah. just need to go to confession and confession and move can on. seem so daunting, but when you do it, especially when you're ha- in the habit of doing it, it's actually no big deal at all and it's beautifully simple. Yes, yeah. and freeing and. I think a lot of the students went to confession on this retreat, and it was so wonderful, Father, that you were able to have four extra priests hearing confessions that evening, and a lot of the students went to confession, some of them for the first time in a long time, and mentioned to me the freedom that they felt and the Mm. joy that they felt through the sacrament. It's great to hear. You certainly left us with plenty of things to ponder. What do you think challenged the students the most? I think it's their own individual call to holiness that each one stands, each of us stands alone, so to speak, before God, even though we come from a very rich community and a lot of good holy friendships. Um, I, I would say that basically each one of them realizes their life isn't going to be Harvard for the rest of their lives, and they're not going to necessarily be blessed with the Harvard Catholic Center. Uh, X number more years in their own lives, and that they have to figure out how to live this richness of their faith in whatever vocation they may be called to. I believe it was really a moment of honesty before God that they really did feel and responded to, Mm. because they know His graces are always with them, but when you ask some of the deeper questions and they take them to prayer, I do believe that there is that moment of honesty, of self-knowledge and growing in, God, what do you want of me? And that's so important for young people in any college university, and I believe here in a very special way because they know they have been gifted with good intellects. And again, when God gives gifts, He asks gifts back, so to speak, for the universal church. And one thing that I remember saying is, you all have been spoiled, and they all responded, yes. And when God spoils us by giving us so many gifts, the immediate response to that is, how do I give them back to Him Mm. through His people? And I think they went away with that 
question that they had prayed over. Yep. Yeah, that's great. I think another challenge would be the challenge of prayer. And that was something that was a definite part of both student witness talks, which was very beautiful. The witness of students coming to appreciate prayer and build it into their schedule. And those t- both students encouraged the retreatants to find time for prayer. But then the question is, what what is prayer? What do you do in prayer? How do you discern God's voice in prayer? As well as how do you find time for prayer? And I think right. one thing that was very encouraging for me was to hear those two upperclassmen say, speak about how they had found time for prayer and give some practical suggestions to the retreatants about how to find time. But then also the question is what to do in prayer. And I think that's another challenge for them is we'll be coming out of the retreat, finding that time and then persevering in prayer, which is, which is a challenge for everybody at all stages. Yep. Sure. And Father, if I can add one other thing that Sister's comment made mm-hmm. me think also, a lot of questions about how do they influence their friends for the good? Mm-hmm. Perhaps their friends who were not able to make the retreat for some reason, and then just all the, the friendships and the, and the people that they come in contact with, how do they bring a part of their retreat experience and their retreat graces back to the others who were not there? So that just really showed that they stepped up to the plate and realizing they had been gifted and that they wanted to give that to others. And as Sister was mentioning, I am certain their prayer lives were very deepened by this because they had a lot to ponder. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, we're always trying to keep things outward oriented and challenging the students to always be inviting their friends personally to things. You know, email announcements are what they are, but that doesn't get people to show up to stuff. Uh, And I know there were many people at the retreat there simply because one of their close friends invited them and it resulted in them coming to something like this for the first time. So, well, you call yourselves Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist. What does all that mean? Sister Joseph Andrew likes to say that it's a prayer, and I've always <laughs> loved that. I think it is. It is a prayer, and each part of it means has a has its own meaning. So, Dominican, we are Dominicans. We're part of this. 800-year-old worldwide family that includes priests, brothers, sisters, nuns, and laity. And that charism of preaching and teaching the truth of encountering God through study is what was given to St. Dominic for the sake of the church. And then we are sisters, so we have the, the balance of the contemplative and the apostolic life of of Mary. We belong to Mary. Maybe I can turn it over to Sister Joseph Andrew at this point. Well, we took um, the name Dominican is obvious, but Sisters of Mary because St. Dominic wanted the women followers to be known as Sisters of Mary, hmm. and he wanted the men to be known as Friars of Mary. And of course, through church history, it comes down to actually taking his name as in like the Franciscans, Benedictines, Augustinians, etc., But we wanted to return to what our Father Dominic wanted, which is Dominican Sisters of Mary. Then we were able to choose whatever title we wanted behind it, and we knew 
relatively early on that we wanted to highlight her motherhood and, and definitely the Eucharist. And part of that... And just for the audience, when Sister Joseph Andrew is saying we... Uh, she means that specifically with regards to her personally, who was <laughs> one of the founders of this community That's 25 correct. years ago. Yes, 25 years ago. And so again, to, to highlight the motherhood of Mary, so therefore we are the spiritual mothers of the world. And without the Eucharist, we have no spouse. And so there's many dimensions to our name as... as um, as Sister was mentioning, as, as you alluded to also, Father, but also one of the things that people don't necessarily always catch on to that is a definite part of this is our love of the priesthood and our reverence for priests. And in a day and age where not everyone appreciates the priest, we stand up to the plate, and we do, because without the priest, obviously, we have no spouse, and the church has no sacraments, ultimately. And so I just think it's, it's one of those, it doesn't take a brilliant brain to figure out we need our priests and we need to pray for them and we need to love them and we're not canonizing everyone by any means just as none of we're not canonizing ourselves by any means but we do realize the essential role that the priest plays in the heart of mother church that no one else can play mm. beautiful well it looks like you're thriving now you have 125 sisters? 155. 155. In 25 years. Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> Average age, well, you like to boast? Pray for more. Pray for more. Average age is 32. Nice. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. Great. Yes, God in His goodness and mercy has been in incredible to us. Mm -hmm. But we do work at it too. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And pray for it. All right. Well, let's uh, delve into your personal vocations here. You alluded to earlier of the search for truth, and that's the Dominican motto, right? Veritas? Yes. And so there's an obvious connection here with the Harvard motto and the Sister Maria Veritas. <laughs> so how did you find yourself here from Harvard? How did I find myself a sister yes. after Harvard? Well, I would say Veritas is part of my name because God works uniquely in each of our souls, in each of our journeys, and the way that I first came to know God and to love Him and want to give myself to Him in whatever way He wanted was through people in my life who sacrificed a lot for the truth. And that was what taught me that there was something to be sacrificed for, that perhaps you couldn't see, you couldn't touch, but it was worth giving up anything for the mm. truth. Yep. And so the, that kind of followed me through, through my life, went to a Dominican high school whose motto was Veritas, because that's also the motto of the Dominican order, and then found it interesting that the motto of Harvard was also yeah. Common Veritas. Common thread in your life here. Yes. Yep. And, and also realized that a lot of my classmates through high school through college, they were searching for something. They weren't satisfied with the material, the intellectual goods that they had and were searching for something more. And I knew that they were searching for the truth and began to realize that actually they were searching for a person, the person of Jesus Christ who said, I am the truth. And so all of that became bound up in 
truth as the person of Christ, the the one who was calling me to give my life completely to him in a spousal relationship. And I was able to recognize that call and accept it, accept the invitation as a college student and then enter after college. That's great. And I graduated college the same year as you did in 2010. And I remember around that time seeing you making uh, the Catholic news with making the Latin oration at commencement. Yes, so. that was a great, a great honor. Every year, somebody gives a Latin oration at commencement, and so it was wonderful to be able to to do that. And taught me a lot about myself along that journey of writing, memorizing, and delivering that speech. But it was a joy. It was a very joyous moment. Well, we're very proud of you here for that. So, Sister Joseph Andrew, um, you've obviously been in religious life a while and in two communities now. So, can you tell us in brief, how did you become religious and then end up founding this community? Thank you, Father. I would say I owe it all really to my parents. Their example of what marriage was was just beautiful. And their example, and Sister mentioned this as well, and I think this is a essential quality of anyone realizing their vocation, who has really suffered for me? And what do I respect and admire in that person? And so I just every day saw my parents giving so much to our family and never moving out of our home when my father had so many other opportunities for um, advancing in his own you know, workforce, which was, uh, so he became head of the electrical engineering and um, throughout all the Oak Ridge government plants and the atomic energy, et cetera. And I would always overhear their conversation. We're, we're staying here because it was close to mom's family and because we children were taught by the Dominican sisters. And so that was the end of the conversation, no matter what. My father never begrudged that. That was really his, he's putting his foot down. We're staying here. And I remember thinking, as I would watch the sisters do they know how much they are loved, and what does this all mean? And so, growing up as as a sister's girl, um, I certainly got into my share of, of trouble. But the one thing that remained stable as I was trying to, you know, find, you know, really who am I, and, and growing up in a in a very Catholic family was Sister's Rosary, hmm. and that 15-decade rosary <laughs> just got my attention, and I wanted my own. And so when I graduated from the particular uh, Catholic elementary school and went to a Catholic high school, it was a different community of sisters, and they were wonderful in their own ways, but I was not one bit interested in their community, and I just kept going back to the Dominicans. And as Sister mentioned, and you, you mentioned it also, Father, about Veritas, I would always remember my parents saying, what did you learn in religion class today? And I remember one time, this would be at the dinner table, and I remember one time just saying, a sister knows everything, and everything she tells us is truth. And that was very strong in our family, and mm. the family was like, that's great. You know that. You learn everything. The sister, Because, again, even as a child, if... Um, 
I would spout off with something my mother would say, and how do you know that? And she would make me give a reason for what I had just spouted off, some crazy opinion, and I knew good and well I couldn't defend it. And so we really learned to say what you mean and mean what you say. And again, I think that theme of of truth runs strong in... um, certainly in the Dominican order, and certainly here at Harvard. And one other thing that I want to mention too, Father, is how the students really love and respect you and appreciate the sacrifices you are making for them. And they, people pick up when people are sacrificing for them. They, it's not something that they are, they're going to see in the world in general. And mm. You know, that sacrifice wins many souls. Well, thank you. Very kind of you. Um, I can tell your love for priests. Amen. So. <laughs> so Sister Maria Veritas, you professed final vows probably relatively recently. What year? 2018. Okay, it's just a few years ago. Uh, and what do you do in the community right now? Right now, I have the privilege of studying and teaching at the same time. So I'm a fifth-year PhD student in systematic theology, and I also teach freshman theology to Catholic University students. Great. And Sister Joseph Andrew, you're the vocation director of this community. Yes, Father. How long have you been in that role? Ever since the beginning of the community. Okay, and so you are an back, expert. Even back to the other communities. So it's yep. pretty much been my religious nice. life, Yes. So you're not quite like a recruiter, as some might think. Um, no. How would you describe your job? I would describe vocation directors as those who help others see the gifts that they have in a much more clear light and the limitations that they have and try to put all this together and challenge them to deeper prayer to say, who really am I, that self-knowledge, and then how does God will me to go through life and complete my own heart because that is our sanctification and that is our internal peace and that is what will bring us home to heaven and allow us the courage, as St. John Paul II would say, be not afraid, the courage to get out in a world that doesn't always accept the message that we hold so dear in our heart, and yet to speak it, and to speak it with such conviction that others too hear. So if everyone was living their vocation, I think the world would know so much more peace Mm. and so much more truth, and in reality... um, it, w- it would just be a very different world. Mm. But we have to do that with a conviction and a courage, which I think when we say yes to our own particular vocation, we suddenly realize we have because there's this burning desire to give to others what we have been so blessed to receive. Mm. So you do function like a spiritual director insofar as you're Very helping women so. discern, but then you're also uh, you're also discerning on behalf of your community if this is the right person. Correct. And, so and if I help them discern, and perhaps it's religious life, the vast majority are always going to be marriage, and then there's also a growing number of young of women being called to the consecrated um, virginity and there's mm-hmm. a that's really coming up I even spoke to some here and I do believe that that's uh, their vocation but to those who have a religious vocation the question next immediately is to which community yep. to which spirituality and to help them go there and get connected with that particular spiritual dir- or vocation director in a, in a different community than 
I'm sure you've helped many other communities in helping they lead women me, to father, their... They owe me, Father. They owe me. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so why discern a religious vocation specifically during college? It seems like there's so many other things to be worried about during these busy four years, certainly here at Harvard. I think it's always the right time to think about what God is asking of you, the way that your heart is made to give the gift of self and... I remember the joy that I felt when I finally realized that God was inviting me to this life and that He loved me in such a way as to want me for Himself and that that kind of a joy went deeper than any kind of fulfillment that I would have from what I did, my studies, my teaching, And that's true of marriage as well. I think that anyone who's dating, who gets engaged, who gets married, would say my identity as a wife um, and in God's providence a mother is at the core of my being. And it's it's a way in which I'm I'm fulfilled and I'm fulfilling the role that God has for me in His church. And so whether I'm teaching or not or whatever my career Finding out how I'm called to give myself away is is really, that's it. I mean, hmm. what more matters? Sister, you, you don't seem to have any hesitations about encouraging women to discern during college, right? I don't have any hesitation about encouraging women and men to discern in high school, let alone hmm. college. Yeah. And um, the first thing that I thought of, Father, when you asked that question is when they do step out of college, the world comes at them very quickly. And if they're not prepared by having rooted themselves, first of all, in prayer, certainly, but also subjectively, personally, uniquely, and the, the manner in which they believe God is calling them Uh, in their vocational path, then they can really be swept off their feet. It is like a grounding. It is like a rooting. And and then the person continues to grow from there. And they're not going to have a space necessarily as, as able to be fruitful as they're going to have in college when they do so much thinking. Well, some of this thinking needs to be what is God calling me to? It sounds like you're saying that if one's not intentional about growing in discernment, that a vocation could be lost? Totally, Father. I, I know of many that have been. I do believe. I mean, only God can certainly say. But it's easy to lose a vocation. It's easy to get sidetracked. It's easy to put other priorities above one's faith and one's vocational calling before God or to spend one's um, mental energies on something that at the end of the day may produce a good product, but as Sister so beautifully said, doesn't affect my heart and change my person, and I will carry this person only throughout my life, and I am responsible for, as I always say, my own ship. I can't blame anyone else. So I, it's my decision and my openness before God. And yes, there are many, many temptations in the world, and they come many times when we're least suspecting. So I think that dedicated prayer to discerning one's role in life, why did God create me? Uh, That is essential to know. Mm -hmm. And I think college is 
it's essential to 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 really do that during college. So there's obviously many things that go into laying a solid foundation upon which one can discern a vocation. One has to be well-rooted in one's own identity in Christ as a son and daughter of the Father, uh, to have a a prayer life and habit of participating in the sacraments and so forth. Sister Veritas, how did you get to that point of just being able to ask God, what is your vocation in college, knowing that a lot of things presumably have to come before that too, right? I would say a couple of key moments for me would have been, well, first of all, the sacrament of confirmation is key because the sacrament of confirmation is a sacrament of vocation. And it's a sacrament in which you're given the strength, the extra strengthening of the Holy Spirit to to know what you are to do and to live as a as a adult as an adult Christian in the world. And for me it's interesting because I'm a Byzantine Catholic. And so I received the sacrament of confirmation or chrismation with my baptism. Oh, interesting. And so I once I learned confirmation as the sacrament of vocation, it made a lot of sense to me why I had a desire for a complete self-gift very early on in life. So Sounds I would like say, a good argument for uh, pushing confirmation <laughs> earlier in yes, the West. <laughs> yes, yes. And so the sacrament of confirmation, and I would encourage anyone who hasn't received the sacrament of confirmation yet to to get in touch with a priest and make sure that, that, that you receive that sacrament. I would say a second key moment was going on one of our community's discernment retreats. And... That was key for me. I went because I knew our sisters already, loved our sisters, just wanted to spend more time with the sisters. I didn't really go to discern a vocation. (laughs) I mean, that's what I thought. But at that retreat, Sister Joseph Andrew asked me, what is God's will for your life? And that was a question that I actually had not asked. I thought that because I was living a faithful Catholic life, my own will for my life was the same as God's will for my life. So I think the second key moment would be asking that question, what is God's will for my life? And then then a third moment would be surrendering to wanting what he wants. And that happened for me in junior year of college, realizing truly that his will for me was to enter religious life and trusting him with that leap of faith, because that's always a leap. We don't know what we're choosing except for the fact that we're choosing him and he, he is enough. And that that confidence grows with the years, but it's always a leap. And so one always has to surrender. When we say, thy will be done in the Our Father, it might sound like a throwaway line to some people, but that's ultimately what we're asking. What is your will for us? And I want to do it, whatever it is, right? Yes, and that is very Marian, the first person or the greatest model of asking that question and of availability to God's plan is Our Lady. In the Catholic life, it's often said that grace builds on nature. And as we've been talking about, there's a a significant human foundation uh, upon which a vocation and grace builds in someone's life. So, what are some of the common obstacles to answering such a call? I believe the first uh, one that I would mention, Father, is fear. 
And John Paul II, St. John Paul the Great, hit the nail on the head when he bellowed out in one of his first statements to the mm. Universal Church, be not afraid. Yep. Famous words. Famous words, because most things that cause us to step away or get sidetracked from the will of God somehow involve fear, either fear of commitment, fear that I'm not good enough, Fear that how could God be asking this of me? Does this is this has to be my own imagination? There are so many fears that other people who we love and value are not going to approve. Fear that we have these wonderful degrees and wonderful talents and just you know all these gifts, and are they going to be hidden and not used in the convent or in the seminary or in the priesthood? So many fears that again the the evil one pushes on us because the world would be filled with these type questions, and so when we do express, a young person expresses their openness to a possible priestly or religious vocation, many times the first reaction is going to be, why throw all that you have away? Instead of you are gaining the kingdom on behalf of all of us, go for it. Um, But it takes a depth of faith to really understand that. And we could argue whether we're living in, you know, an age of faith. And so I always um, say to the young women and and to the young men that I speak with, get ready um, to have to prove your belief in your your possible vocation. As Sister said, it's an act of faith until we make our vows in, in the hands of the church, so to speak, until the priest is anointed by his bishop. It's always going to be an act of faith, but we believe it strongly enough that we'll, we are willing to throw everything away to gain the one prize that has captured our heart. Yeah. Fear is never from God, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And God never wastes any of our talents because exactly. He gave them in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. I think one of the powerful meditations on that came for me as a postulant and thinking about the parable of the talents and somebody that I hold very dear would keep telling me you're wasting your talents, you know, and that, Mm -hmm. I think that is normally how we read the parable that you're entrusted with talents that you're responsible for developing them. And I, I realized that actually, um, the, the fear of the man who, um, invested his talents, um, who, who buried his talents, he was afraid that they wouldn't be used. And so his fear resulted in loss, in burying them. And mm. so fear of losing my talents would have led me to say no to my vocation and would have led actually, paradoxically, to the burying of those talents. So fear is not a good guide to the use of your talents. It's never a good guide to anything. But that's where his fear ended up, was the burying of the talents. And that was what the fear of this person that I loved and that who loved me, that was where that fear would have led, was not to the outcome that we both desired, which is that those talents would bear fruit, but it would have led to the burying of the talents. And then that's really when in freedom, without fear, you invest them, which is giving them to whatever vocation you're called to, that then he can make them bear fruit. 
And going on a little bit with what Sister just mentioned, I always teach young people, too, whatever you fear is probably a highlight by the evil one. And so what are you clinging to more than you are capable of clinging to? Because your control can smother and kill. And that's very much brought out in Sister's example. So I think if we look at the temptations of a young person when they are trying to discern those temptations, highlight some of the things that we need to totally hand over to God that we're clinging to in a very unhealthy, unspiritual manner. And we all have those things. It's not unusual. But I'm always like, so many times... The evil one points out the importance of something that I didn't even notice before. And he'll usually point it out through some kind of uh, a fear of that self-gift. Mm. And there can be a false humility, too. Yes. Inspired by fear. Yes. So That's a great reflection on that parable. It's a mysterious passage, really. Um, and uh, it's one of those things that requires a bit deeper reflection on Christ's calling to us. So thanks for sharing that. There are unique challenges for young women in particular when it comes to discerning next steps in life, whether it be religious vocation or marriage. How do you help women to navigate that? We help them to pray better. We help them to be, become very honest internally to know themselves, as, as we have mentioned, that self-knowledge is, is so important. And in our retreats that Sister mentioned, we have all-night Eucharistic adoration, and many of the young women, we'll have up to 100 and, well, I had to close one, 180, that was a, a huge one, but all I'm seeing is young people want God, and they really do want to know. They don't want their lives to be spent in a pursuit that really wasn't ultimately the divine will, and that really did lead, lead, leave them with a lot of frustration. So they want to get this correct. But one of the things is, again, that honesty before God, um, to ask the questions before Eucharistic adoration, and I always say, it's just like a teacher, you ask the questions and then you leave the line blank, and you let God fill it in. And how does He do that? He begins to bring the heart, the, the desires of one's own heart, in more alignment with one or the other vocations. And eventually the, the young woman, or I would say the young man too, begins to not only be a lesser afraid, but to kind of say, if I miss this, I think I've missed everything. And so it turns into a desire for that particular vocation hmm. if they have done this well. Yep. Well, all the wisdom you're sharing certainly is not exclusive to women either. In fact, during our retreat this past weekend, I know you had some good conversations with some men who are all equally inspired by everything you had to say. From your feminine perspective, or feminine genius, as you say, <laughs> thank you. how might men better discern what is God's will for them? 
My first response to that is men can take it slower than women. Men don't get that women are on a time clock and the days become like weeks and the weeks become like years. And we are much more hurried as we go through some of these questions. And I think God wired us that way for for many reasons. But one of the things with, with men is if you plant the seed, you need to, I have found nourish it, but step way back because he doesn't read it the same. Whereas a woman, if you plant the seed, her next question immediately is going to be, what do I do? How do I do this? What's my next step? But for a man, it's like, oh, thank you, sister. Give me some time to think about that. Hmm. And and that's appropriate. Um, And he'll take that to prayer and do other good things, but I don't think men lose their vocation as readily as women can. Hmm. Because for a woman to put this on hold, she will find something to fill her heart because her heart is already desiring some kind of a completion, hmm. which is her readiness to respond. But if she puts it on hold, then she will go for something else. And um, yes, I do think. In particular, women can lose their vocations. Men can, too, by being more so selfishly grasping at something that wasn't theirs. That's not as much the woman's problem. Hers might be putting it off and putting it off. And um, that's that can be very deadly to a religious vocation for a woman. But for a guy, he needs that time to step aside mm-hmm. and to use his manly powers to really think about and reason and um, put some kind of logic into why this could be a possibility for him. And then he starts taking ownership. Mm-hmm. Sister Maria Veritas, do you see this played out in your work uh, I'm just ministering to students uh, right now at Catholic University. Let me think. I I mainly where our apostolate is mainly to the young women there, mm-hmm. especially the the freshman women. Um, I think, as Sister said, really cultivating a prayer life is important for both both men and women, and that's really the place where both need to start. Um, and also the the self knowledge, but I think I really appreciate sisters' insight into the differences. Why it's so important for a woman to ask the question and have somebody there to help her stay stay focused and um, stay stay on track and keep keep that desire that's there in her heart keep it on the front burner all right and uh what do you all like to do for fun when you're not <laughs> seeking veritas <laughs> well this evening we've already got a movie planned oh. and we're going to um we're going to have our last party because you see father you think you've kept us incredibly busy but if we have a free moment we're either going to be praying or we're going to be partying oh i like that <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I, I, when I'm not uh, teaching, praying, I'm planning how to improve my tennis serve so that it nice. can be just an explosion on the baseline there. So sisters have fun too, oh, right? Definitely. <laughs> All things in a balance, Father. I don't think there was any doubt of that with anybody who uh, spent time with you this weekend. So. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a, a great, inspiring conversation and hopefully it inspires many to discern more deeply what is God's will for them. 
So once again, Sister Maria Veritas from class of 2010 at Harvard <laughs> and Sister Joseph Andrew, both from the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Father. Thank you and so much, Father. Thank you to everyone who's listening. Thanks for listening to The Harvard Catholic. Don't forget to follow us or subscribe to stay on top of all the latest episodes. And please consider supporting us by visiting harvardcatholic.org. We hope you'll join us next time as we continue proclaiming the truth and love of Jesus Christ to Harvard and to the world. Amen.